recorded live. There are very few men who can get away with a velvet jacket and a frill-fronted shirt. I can think of Jimi Hendrix and John Pertwee. They are the only ones. Do you mean me? Doctor Who started as a very Edwardian gent, very genteel, slightly dandy, but, but not too wild. And as you look at what happens over time, there's always this Edwardian feel that runs right the way through. He might have assistants who, you know, verge on the uh, youth element at times, but he is always the gentleman. Clothes obviously are very important to Doctor Who. We don't quite know where he gets them from. Somewhere, somewhere in space. John Pertwee is without doubt my favourite of all the Doctors because I just think he's so damn sexy. I mean, I certainly would have followed him in that TARDIS anywhere. You know, even if we got to the wrong place, I wouldn't have minded. Come on. We'll just take a quick look around. Then I'll try and get you back to Earth, all right? Pertwee reflected the popularity of James Bond. Drawing on, on, on what's happening at, at the time, he was very much like uh, James Bond, the way he dressed. Action! It was very much more into hardware, cars, um, poomobiles. Hello, old girl. Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Pachock episode 98. Doctor Who, Pachak, and joining me is, as always, Mr. Ken Deep. Hello, Ken. Hello. How are you this um, afternoon? I'm very fine, and you are Mr. Louis Trapani. Let me check my underwear label, and you are correct. It reads Louis Trapani. Lord President and uh, co-host of Doctor Who, Pachak. The co-host with the, well, with the co-most. With almost. (laughs) The co-host was almost. <laughs> the oh, co-host was almost. Well, uh, joining but, us from sunny Iowa in the uh, heartland of the United States is mm-hmm. Joe Omega on the forums. Omega, yes. if you live in uh, in the UK, that's true. Good old Joe, how are you? Oh, I'm doing uh, pretty well, all things considered. You know, Iowa and all. <laughs> <laughs> Considering he's a transplanted New Yorker in Iowa, he's like the uh, he's like the kid in King Arthur's court. <laughs> well, you're you're not going to be there for that much longer, are you? Um, no, okay. just through January. So, okay. so. Well, we're we're glad to have you on the show, no matter where you're calling from. Excellent. Uh, thanks, and um, our, our regular. Um, Conspirators on Doctor Who Podshock are, are not with us, but um, hopefully they'll be joining us soon. And um, But we're going to go on with the show, and today... Yes, as a matter show, of fact, on the side of a milk carton, I did see James's picture, so I'm wondering what's up with James. 
Uh, is he missing? Have they posted him to, in, on the list of the missing? Oh, good old Jane. We, we really um. We, we need really our to... our our English bloke to be on the show. It just doesn't seem to work. Our our legend from Leeds. Our our uh our something with a Y from York. How can can we do? <laughs> I was gonna say yummy, but I'll leave that to Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> yummy. Otherwise, I will. Uh, <laughs> I. I'll start a whole series of rumors. Mm. Well. <laughs> okay. Well, first thing, I want to welcome everybody back to another live edition of Doctor Who Podjock. And let me say that the reaction has been very positive. We really appreciate everyone taking time out on a Sunday afternoon, evening, morning, depending on where you are around the world, for joining us and participating. These uh, focuses on individual errors of particular doctors have been the reaction's been excellent, and uh, everyone who sends in emails and participates in the show and checks the website on a, on a regular basis, uh, Lewis and I, this is not a joke, I don't, I, don't, I don't need to be prodded to tell you this, Lewis and I talk on a regular basis, not only because we're co-hosting the same podcast, but we're also close friends, and it never ceases to amaze us. Um, the reactions we get, the letters we get, the emails we get, it really is extraordinarily humbling, and we thank you. We thank you for your support, and we thank you for, for being a part, letting us be a part of your lives around the world. It's, it's, it's amazing. It certainly is, and I know sometimes, you know, that there's a great length of time that goes without us relaying that back to you, but it's, it's, it's still evident, you know, even now, two and a half years after doing, you know, doing our first podcast, still doing this, it's still humbling, and um, and we appreciate it, um, you know, everyone's uh, feedback. So, of course, email at feedback at podshock.net. Feedback at podshock.net is always a way of emailing us. You can also put audio clips there. There's several ways, including Skype and Gizmo Project that you can leave messages as well. Um, Lewis Trapani is the king of all technology, uh, and, and if there's a way of communicating with us from smoke signals all the way up to satellites and, and little and, space. And including binary. <laughs> we read binary. <laughs> much like the moisture vibrators. Um, much like the binary load lifters we have back at home, we can read it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, right. that's, that's just a, a, quick, you know, a quick moment to, to thank everybody and, and to show our appreciation. And Lou will... Lou will confirm that he, that he and I uh, spoke during the week, and I said, Lewis, you know, this show is going, we're coming up on 100 episodes, and we thought that we would get a few people to be listening, and it would be kind of fun to meet up with some other Doctor Who fans. Uh, and, you know, if we got, like, 20 people to listen to the podcast, we'd be lucky. Uh, and to say that it's exceeded our expectations is a gross understatement. Uh, both of us were, were amazed. And we were speaking with some mutual friends and family and stuff. And how's the podcast going? I was, a friend of mine at work was asking me that. It said it's more amazing than I can ever imagine uh, it would be. So uh, enough about uh, the, the blowing and gushing. We're, we're going to talk about John Pertwee. I also wanted to take a second to tell everybody that I and hopefully Lewis, depending on his on his um, personal schedule, but I'm I'm already confirmed to be heading up to United Fan Con in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, in the first weekend of November 2007, to see Wendy Padbury amongst other guests. I, I believe uh, that's November 3rd and 4th, if I'm not mistaken. It's also the Friday. I think it's second. Uh, third, second. 
third and fourth. Uh, Wendy Padbury is going to be there. I think only the third and fourth, though, right? Or is she going to be there? No, no, as far as I know, she's the whole weekend. Whole uh, weekend of. Okay. I'm sure Dave is going to make the. I'm sure Dave is going to make the trip from the UK. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Uh, To pay worshipful respect to Wendy Padbury and. I'm hoping to perhaps line up an interview or, or do something well, you know up there or report for this show. Yeah, as a programming I, note, that's weekend would normally be our I believe our Peter Davison live show. So if that's the case, we'll have to shift the Peter Davison to you know for the next live show, which will be two weeks later. And we'll, pro- we'll probably skip a week or possibly two, um, which would actually would Lewis and I were talking during the week about this with. Um, with the uh, Children in Need special being somewhere in mid-November, it may just time out perfectly that the show would air the day after the Children in Need special, and we'd have a chance to talk about that as well. So, so we're trying to time that out, but as a programming note, we will probably be skipping uh, a week, maybe two, on that live show uh, because that would be a that weekend is scheduled to be the same weekend as the, the convention in Springfield. And, but and where this if we could like get a, Wendy Padbury instead and do a live show with her, that would be um that would be incredible. But we can't uh, promise that yet. You <laughs> wouldn't have to twist my arm, believe me. I, I have a few thousand questions I can ask the girl. But, woman, girl. but getting back to this show, I do want to encourage everyone to it's a live show. We take uh live calls, so <laughs> please don't be shy. Call us at seven two four 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 seven four four four. And you don't have to be a talk show member anymore. You can just call, uh, though, if you do, if you are a member, you could join in on the live chat that goes on simultaneously during the show as well. So, um, for instance, um, when I mentioned we were on a hiatus before, I got <laughs> I got a virtual slap from Merlin in chat saying that we shouldn't use the word hiatus as a bad, bad word. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has, in Doctor Who circles, it has a terrible, uh, a terrible stigma to it. Yes, yeah, so I do apologize for that. Uh, a little sabbatical. <laughs> okay, a sabbatical. Oh, yeah. So um, once again, the number is seven two four 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 seven four four four. It's um, Talkshoe Live. If you go to talkshoelive dot com and find us, uh, obviously Doctor Who Podshock Live is the name of the podcast. Uh, we want to. I'll say I'm so excited to take this Podshock thing out on the road. You know, we're going to go to. Springfield and then Los Angeles in February of 08. It's like the Podshock U.S. tour. <laughs> the U.S. today, the world tomorrow. <laughs> you hear that, James? Wherever you are, we're coming after you. We're coming to get you. Yeah. Maybe we'll swing around to Iowa and pick Joe up on our way. Please. <laughs> I'm sure we won't have to twist his arm for that. All righty. So um, did we want to just uh, graze on any of the news items um, that have to be happen to be sprinkling across this week or we want to get right into John Pertwee? You know, let's just touch on the news items because there's a few things worth talking about. And uh, mm. there's, there's the rumors of the casting rumors are, are persisting. There's a movie rumor. Yeah. You know what? These are all rumors until until further notice. You know, I, um, is there some truth to the fact that Perhaps uh, uh, the reason for this delay, uh, this uh, part of a season delay, year, I don't want to say the word hiatus because I'm already jinxed. Um, could they be fitting in a movie there? You know, Doctor Who and the whole movie thing never really worked. 
They've tried it time and time and time again. Um, the, the Fox movie, um, to the Peter Cushing movies, to Tom Baker and Scratchman and a number of other movie attempts. Doctor Who is a television show. It's always worked as a television show. On and on. I think that was a little talk show um, <laughs> error. Oh, what did he say? Pay it no mind. <laughs> okay. It, it just it just seems like a, a movie is is just uh, if they do it, we'll love it, we'll support it, we'll go see it, of course, and we'll make a, a big to do out of it. But it just seems that Doctor Who has attempted to do the theatrical thing from time to time and. It's a television show. It works best on television. Uh, the positive news is this thing about uh, is this uh, this news coming out with uh, uh, Stephen Moffat working with Steven Spielberg and Peter Jackson on their project. I think that's terribly exciting news. Yes, yes. So um, it's um, for a, uh, I believe is it a television or a movie production of, of Tintin. I believe that's what the the project is about. I um, I don't have my computer in front of me, Lewis, so I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on you to. Okay. Well, and other news is that casting uh, confirmations. Well, due to casting news, it's been confirmed that next year uh, we'll we'll see the and this has been well rumored for for quite some time now, the returning um, iconic villain or adversary from the past of Doctor Who will be returning is the Santarans. So it's uh, now it's been confirmed from uh, the BBC itself. So. Um, yeah, they didn't do such a uh, such a great job, like trying to hide this. I think they gave up on that. You know, I think yeah. you know, but probably it's all for the best because the whole master thing was, you know, got out of the bottle very quickly last year at this time, and you know, we were, you know, that they they tried to hold that, you know, bring put that genie back in the bottle, and it just wasn't going it back in. Work. So, yeah. I, I think you know, just let it loose, <laughs> and um, you know, they, that could deflect some attention off, perhaps. Well, so that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that maybe yeah. perhaps, you know, if they, if they were wise, you know, instead of following the same formula, having, you know, the Santarans introduced somewhere in the in middle of the series or in the series and returning for the series finale and having that being the focus, they would just kind of like it, they, they could change that formula and, and introduce the Santarans <laughs> early on and be done yeah. with them and then save the, you know, the series finale for something bigger or better or, or different, just different. I think a part of my, my issue with this whole pattern breaking, if they came out and the first two part, you know, first two stories are a two, is a two-parter about the Centaurans, and then that's it. We've moved past that. That, to me, is pattern breaking. It's like, hey, we're coming out with a real, you know, real slam dunk. We're going to bring back some old monsters, and the Doctor's going to have to face them and all this kind of stuff. And you know the Daleks will be back. You know they can't do a series without yeah, at least having one episode about the Daleks, so... <laughs> yes, well, this time they're they're turning it. Uh, they're going to have a sitcom. It's going to be three Daleks in, a, in an apartment in San Francisco, and they're going to. Uh, you know, it's their it's their hijinks and mayhem as they try to uh, find jobs and and uh, pay their rent. Three Daleks and a baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we hear from Joe. <laughs> 
Yeah, no. Well, the sad thing is I might actually watch that at least once. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, beyond that, no. Um, I really wish I could say I was excited about the Centaurs' return, but... Uh, they're, they are going in chronological order. In order of appearance, Daleks, Cybermen, the Master, the Centaurans. Mm. And it just doesn't even seem like there's any thought into it. It's just, all right, who's next? Oh, I was uh, just flipping through the uh, continuity guide here, and the next thing that popped up is the Centaurans. You want to just bring them back? Yeah, why not? Okay, what we'll do is the Centaurans have some sort of crazy gadget thing that's going to freeze the entire universe that they get towards the end of the series, and then uh, they're going to have to pull some crazy stuff and go to the TARDIS and break something, and uh, that'll fix everything. So so I'm ready. So Joe's got the inside track on this year's story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, uh... Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, of course, excited to have the the Centaurans back, uh, I you know I'm looking forward to. Um, I, in a way, I hope they don't really re envision them too much. I thought that visually yeah. they were a very impressive monster. Um, they always seemed kind of menacing and uh, and very powerful. Although sometimes they, you know, they uh, they were hampered by their budget constraints, where you'd have one Centauran and. He would talk about a mighty army, but you naturally never saw it. So this could be an opportunity. Well, that's why they're clones too, because they can all wear the same mask and the same outfit. <laughs> oh yeah, you know if you if you if this expanded budget new Doctor Who has a chance to show us a Santaran army in action and even throw the root hands in for good measure, I think we could really have something that we've been only able to imagine or see in let's say comic books. They could join uh, well, up with the Jadoons, and then <laughs> there they go. You know, we'll tell them apart, you know, unless they take the helmets yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, and it is a possibility that, you know, the Jadoon are definitely uh, influenced by the Centaurans. Um, perhaps that they... They share know. the same tailor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I, I, I'm worried about the patterns, but I'm excited about the return of a monster that I like. Well, hopefully uh, they're yeah. not too much, as you said, Ken, hopefully they, they don't re-envision them too much. Hopefully they're our Centaurans, not, you know, Pete's World Centaurans, and hopefully, you know, they, they somewhat resemble what the, you know, the iconic look of what the Centaurans are, and, you know, hopefully it's not not steering away too much of what's already been established. Well, we've been very lucky in, in our pod shocks and in, 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 uh, in the Troughton era, we had a chance to announce that Wendy Padbury was going to be at United FanCon. Now here we are in the Pertwee. Yes, uh, I, I thought I thought the same thing. Talking about the Centaurans, which yes. were introduced in Time Warrior. Yes. So uh, once oh, again, yeah. uh, you can only imagine what we're going to get in the Tom Baker episode. <laughs> Zygons. <laughs> <laughs> Let Zygons be Zygons. Let Zygons be Zygons. <laughs> oh. and, uh, and we already know what we're looking forward to in the Peter Davison one. So yeah. we're, uh, we're, we're definitely having some good luck in, uh, in our news related to the doctor we're talking about. Uh, to that end, though, what are the news stories before we finally get to our John well, Hart report? I think that th those were the ones that were peaking um, the well, plateau. One of, the, 
Yeah. One of the casting rumors was that, and it's not really a casting rumor because he happens to mention in, a, in an interview that he'd be interested in being in. Doctor oh yes, Who, that's right. I forgot about that. Was Patrick Stewart, who I adore. Uh, Patrick Stewart is um, is a favorite actor of mine and um, someone that uh, that I I think is a, a wonderful person. Always seems to be. Lewis and I met him at a convention many years ago. Yes. And, yeah. Um, you know what you see is what you get with Patrick Stewart and and, and uh, great voice and 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 just a great way of of intertwining Star Star Trek. Uh, to me, uh, if Patrick Stewart does get a chance to to be a guest star uh, in Doctor Who, be it this season or in some special or in a future episode, if that if that brings some Star Trek fans to the Doctor Who fold, just out of curiosity to see what the show is about who may have never been exposed to it before or, or written the show off as, as cornball, um, if they come in and see what the new show is all about, we, maybe we'll gain some new, you know, some new fans, and I think that's, a, that's always a positive. Yeah, we, we should be clear that that Patrick Stewart's not cast. We're just saying we're just reporting that he. It's been reported that he has expressed that he would like to do a part on the show. That he would like to be involved in the show. We're we're not saying that he's been cast in any way, but we wouldn't mind it. <laughs> no, I think that would I think that would definitely it would open up uh, new doors for Doctor Who. And, and even here in the states, I think people would um, when that episode aired on the Sci Fi Channel. I think there would be a lot of people who would be very interested in seeing the show, and, and that's only a positive. And it's not like, well, geez, we're going to have to have Patrick Stewart on the show, and he's, you know, he's not really that good an actor. <laughs> Patrick Stewart's great, so oh yeah, mm-hmm. he's definitely going to make a positive contribution. Absolutely. All right. So, well, that about does it for our um, abbreviated uh, news flash. Yeah, just recapping the news. Podcast. Um, yeah, of course, there are many release um, there's information on, on new releases, be it Big Finish or DVDs or books and things. You can always go to www.podshock.net or uh, gallifreyandembassy.org or, of course, Outpost Gallifrey. Gallifrey One uh, is always a good place to catch up on your news. Amongst many wonderful Doctor Who uh, news sites outside of the official ones. Mm-hmm. And yeah. links to all of those are found at, at podshock.net. So. And um, yeah, I, I should, we just could, should just kind of clarify that Outpost Gallifrey will continue. Uh, the new section is not going away there. There may be other changes going on with that site, but uh, the Doctor Who news will re- remain, um, you know, will continue there. And as well as um, information about the upcoming uh, February convention that, that, um, that we're, when I say we, I'm including James, um, all hope to be in attendance. Yes, Lewis and myself and hopefully James as well are all planning at being at, at um, Gallifrey, the 19th, the 19th Amendment, Amendment, I believe, or... of Gallifrey out in Los Angeles, California in February 2007. And if everything goes as planned, it will be the first time that James and Lewis and I are all in the same place at the same time for what amounts to be a special recording of Dr. Gupachak. That would be, that would be great fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there'll be a few aftershocks as well. <laughs> as they will. Um, goes without saying. That, uh, yes. that meeting. Um, also, uh, I want to make a, a quick reminder that uh, on the Podshock and the Gallifrey Embassy 
uh, websites, there's always RSS feeds from um, Outpost Gallifrey as well as Doctor Who Online and the official BBC site. Uh, it's a great starting point as far as finding out Doctor Who news, uh, although we don't act as a Doctor Who news page per se. We not, you know, our main page is, is focused on, on Doctor Who Podshock. It's a great stepping off point, a great launching point to other websites because we've got our links there and our news feeds, and if there's something that interests you, you click on it and you move over to another site. And anytime you use any of the links to any of the shopping, um, those things like for Amazon and BBC America, the BBC America shop, uh, when you, when you uh, start your shopping experience with the Podshock website, it gets credited back to us, and that can only help uh, as anything that any uh, monies that are, are returned are always put back into the website and back into Podshock and back into the lavish lifestyle that Lewis leads. Right. But, we, I mean, as Ken says, uh, we, we don't um, specialize in news, but we do carry news stories uh, in addition to the podcast. We also have reviews there. Many people contribute uh, big finish reviews on our site, so... Uh, don't, you know, um, just rely on a podcast or our reviews. We have reviews on our website as well, gallifrandembassy.org. So check it out. Um, various uh, listeners do contribute their reviews. And there's a great forum there with activity going on around the clock. So be a part of it. Louis, right. you also mentioned, um, just, just so that we can we put it out there and then everybody knows that that's what we're up to, we do have a couple of reviews of some things coming up. And, and what were the um, the audios that we were reviewing? Well, uh, we'll um, I think we've got an upcoming review of BBC Audio. And since I kind of just mentioned them before, and maybe our review will, um, will be well-timed so, um, so that it could coincide with the Tom Baker live show when we, when we get to do the review, was an audio adventure called Sting of the Zygons. Ooh. By Stephen Cole. That's I think I felt the sting of the Zygons at some point. <laughs> yeah, if you rub some mud on it, it helps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's All right. Here finally we go. get to what we came came to talk about, and that is the John Pertwee era, the third Doctor, 1970 to 1974, five seasons. The at that point, the longest running, longest serving Doctor, uh, being that Hartnell and Trotton served approximately three years. Um, Pertwee came along, and you know, obviously Tom Baker was still in front of him, so when he hit his fifth season, he was the longest-running doctor to that time. Um, it, he introduced the color era in Doctor Who. It was his first story that was the first one ever transmitted in color. And um, took the series in an entirely new direction, brought it up to a, a little more of an adult content made it a uh, a show that was still family friendly but seemed to attract more adult viewers i've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow so the tardis should be free of the force field now <laughs> <laughs> it, it really was as ken was saying it, it, it with each new doctor i mean this is the the second time the doctor regenerated so even though um it was successful patrick troughton you know it still was a um uncertain ground 
this is only the second time the Doctor's regenerated on screen. Here we are introducing the third Doctor. And not only is it just the third Doctor, but really the whole series did a, 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 a huge turn in, um, in the format. Yes, it's still, I mean, it's still centered around the Doctor, but um, gone is the format of the TARDIS, bringing them to different places each week in different times. Uh, I mean, we still had that to some degree, but here the Doctor now is sentenced uh, to imprisonment, master to be imprisonment on the planet Earth, and we're now centered on Earth, and um, and and the Doctor makes has to make that adjustment, and the audience has to make that adjustment as well, and it brings us um, it brings the series. Um, it's a new fold in the series. It's 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 completely kind of different to Troughton and and Hartnell before that because um, because now it's basically the invasion of the of the week more or less and um, and he's um, he has a new family called Unit and he's the scientific advisor for Unit and um, it changes the series in that respect too because we're introduced with other. Um, on, um, ongoing characters such as the Brigadier and Benton and um, Captain Yates and so forth and um, it grounds it in a different way. So it's it's really interesting to see that. So it ushered in color, it ushered in a, a whole new format per se, uh, a new actor. Um, it's it's really an exciting time. And it, and the the um, the format is something that resonates to this day. Because Russell T. Davies, uh, one of his one of his um, main points in the new series, and, the, and something we've taken him to task on on several occasions, is that the stories are always rooted in people, something Earth-like, something that people can relate to, uh, the viewer can relate to. Somehow has to have uh, meaning to someone from Earth, and this basically started with the Pertwee era. And John Pertwee was famous for saying, there's nothing more threatening than coming home and finding a Yeti sitting on your loo. And (laughs) sitting on on Louis Trapani. Um, And and to a certain degree, he was right. The the threat is far more, has far more um, resonation with the audience if they come, the, the character in the story is going to their home and their home suddenly has a monster in it, or the the underground, which they were familiar with seeing every day, had creatures in it, or the Cybermen, I'm going back to the invasion a little bit, but the Cybermen coming out of the sewers. Those are all things that, on your street, there's a sewer. So to see a monster come out of a sewer, just about anybody in an urban or suburban area, and, uh, and even certain rural areas, can relate to something coming out of the sewer. It's something we're all familiar with. And that makes the impact that much stronger. Where if you were on planet XYZ and a monster came out of the, make up the word that you want, um, it may not have the same impact. Uh, this, this really took root in the Pertwee era. It, it, this is really where it began, where uh, he was stranded on Earth and the threats would come here. Now, the downside of that is that the, that the Earth has to be invaded on a weekly basis. And that's sometimes difficult to sustain because part of the fun in that is that mystery of, oh, my God, what is this? And if you start to have uh, the public 
becoming aware of these invasions week after week after week. After a while, they'll be like, oh, we're ready for an invasion. So it was, that was difficult to, to sustain in the Pertwee era um, and is probably the downside to it. The upside, of course, is the, the threat is, is easier to relate to. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Joe, what was, what's your um, initial take, you know, going from, I know you're a big Troughton fan, so um, the transition going from Patrick Troughton's era to John Pertwee's eras, um, how would you comment on that transition? Uh, I feel uh, very similar to uh, how Ken feels on this, and uh, I, I think we've talked about it a couple of times because I do love John Pertwee, but uh, the one nagging thing is, just like Ken was saying, the whole idea of, you know, oh, we're getting invaded again. When it got to the point where, like, they were making jokes about how often they were getting invaded, it was a little much, I think, you know, and it sort of takes you out of the moment. And, uh, I mean, in the beginning, especially the first uh, couple of years of John Pertwee's era, um, I think they did a great job with unit, but after a while, uh, they sort of became a joke in, in a sense. And, um, you know, when uh, you have the Brigadier cracking jokes like, you know, I wish we get invaded by a monster that wasn't immune to bullets and stuff <laughs> like that, you know they've been invaded too much. And, you know, it's like, gee, can we just try to do something else? And, you know, I, I, that's one of the big things for me. But on the other hand, I think, uh, stories like the Silurians and the Sea Devils, where uh, the enemy is actually from Earth, and it's some sort of you know monster-like creature. I thought was very interesting because they really didn't do that uh, prior to that, having sort of this alien-type monster, but it actually originated from Earth. I thought that and, was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And it's absolutely brilliant. And the fact that they weren't evil, that they actually just came out and were like, hey, uh, you know, we, we used to live here. And uh, we were wondering if, you know, we could uh, talk a little <laughs> bit. And, oh, no, we're all dead. Uh, was a good way to go. You actually cared about everyone in that story, the Silurians. And, you know, there was... You felt bad. You, you were empathetic towards mm-hmm. what was going on. You know, it was very, well, you the, know, sort of. Hmm? Well, without giving anything away, the ending of the Solorians really illustrates the Doctor and who the Doctor is. And it um, we, we see that mirrored a little bit with, um, I think, was the Christmas, the end of the Christmas invasion as well. And it's um, it, it's. It's it's just interesting, you know. This that's a, it's a great story that illustrates really the doctor's not about he's not pro Earth he's pro sentient beings, you know, and and he uh, he he's um you know fights for for you know what he feels is the right cause, not doesn't necessarily have to be it doesn't that it's not always necessary the humans. Yeah, yeah exactly, and uh... there's and there's from a from a metaphorical point of view point of view, there is something to be said about colonization and, and people's rights, who, you know, who, who was there first and those kind of things. 
there's something to be said there that those are, are, are issues being illustrated in a science fiction forum, and that to me has always been the strength of great science fiction mm-hmm. is, is to bring attention to something that uh, needs attention uh, and it can maybe uh, illustrate an injustice without being preachy. And I think that works in science fiction, and, that, and in particular in those stories, uh, amongst many, amongst even like the Green Death. I mean, we see we see some um, some stories in the Pertwee era that, um, because it's centered on Earth, have the ability to to call attention to things and and perhaps influence young minds, uh, the the kids watching or the young people watching it, to say, hey, you know, maybe pollution's not a good thing. Maybe big companies you know, strip mining is not a good thing. Perhaps blowing up something we don't understand is not a good thing. Those are, are um, there's some moral, there's a moral code going on there and, and, and well illustrated to things, again, that people can relate to here on Earth, uh, as opposed to it taking place on another planet uh, where the, the message may be disguised a little more because it's taking, it's uh, affecting other people in another place. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I mean, but I think they did a good job with that, with uh, like the stories like The Curse of Peladon, mm-hmm. where, yeah. you know, it's a different planet, but they did a great job making it, you care about the characters because it was a very diplomatic forum, very Star Trek, if you will. And, um, you know, I think that's another one of uh, Pertwee's great stories right there. One of, the, yeah. one of the things that I've heard um, as a knock on the Pertwee era uh, is, is a certain, certain way that Pertwee handled authority and um, he had a tendency to be, he could be very condescending. Well, uh, and that was very different from the, the prior doctors, from Hartnell or Troughton. Um, he sort of introduced uh, when when there would be an authority figure that he felt was clearly wrong, he would take them to task. Yeah, and I think that's what's he... wonderful about John Pertwee. I mean, I think the two previous doctors were anti-authoritarian in their stances as well. But I think it's it, John Pertwee really illustrated that and brought that to the forefront, which I, I really think was uh, you know a shining moment in Doctor Who. And and um, but but yeah, go on. I I just I, yeah, I want to make a point from, of that. From the authority point of view. I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was part of what made him brilliant. Yes, where absolutely. I, yeah. I, where I disagreed with him was that um, there is a, a, an undertone of sexism towards some of the women characters in the show, and in particular, like with Joe Grant was made to be this, this yeah. bumbling well, you know, girl who was, you know, I didn't say I passed and all those kind of lines. Yeah. Um, and then there was well, this attempt to reverse that with Sarah, and the first thing they do in her first story is say, well, no, Sarah, this is no place for girls. And it's like, uh, guys, I thought we were changing this. Yeah, they seem to be, uh, I mean, that whole, I mean, John Pertwee's first, um, you know, companion, Carol Ann, uh, Carol, um, I don't know. Liz Shaw. I mean, that was a an attempt to really uh, go against the grain by having a bumbling, know-nothing female companion, you know, and um, Caroline John, thank you, Dave. I, couldn't, I, I was having a brain fart there. Uh, but then they, they, they seem to be struggling in, in that whole era of the, of the 70s that, where they wanted, you know, it was during the, the women's movement and, um, 
and 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 I think Doctor Who wanted to be on board with that, but at the same time they were still fighting a, that old um, establishment that was there ingrained. You know, Star Trek had the same problems that, at, at, you know, uh, Gene Ronda Mary wanted to have the Enterprise 50% women and 50% men, and the networks wouldn't allow that, and they, they felt that no work were you getting, up, getting done on board the Enterprise. So, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's that sort of mentality that, that, um, that was prevalent at that time, which, um, yeah. you know, which shows up, you know, when we watch the series now, you know, we can, it's still there. Oh, well, well, I sw- What's brilliant about Liz Shaw is that, you know, she's a doctor, and that was kind of what, why her character was phased out, but she holds her own. She's as strong as the doctor in, in her scientific knowledge. She wasn't a screamer. Uh, there's, an, there's a line in, in, the, in uh, the in the Inferno where uh, the brigadier says, I'll call for a doctor, and, he, and she reminds him, brigadier, I am a doctor, you know, mm-hmm. and, and those things are wonderful. There's, there, that's to me, that was a strength of the show, that there wasn't a girl who, oh, green bug-eyed monster, ah, let me scream. I liked it. I thought it was refreshing to not have that. Yeah. yeah. No, I love Liz Shaw, and the problem is you get to the Inferno where she's playing uh, herself and an evil version of herself, and you really get to see uh, the extent of her acting capabilities, and that's when she disappears. Yeah. After that, and I thought that was just terrible when we finally, because it was only four stories she was in. You finally get to really know this character, and she's gone. Yeah. And I just thought that was, you know, that was in, to the benefit of the show. And I also felt like she was almost uh, a carryover of the whole idea, you know, like Zoe of having someone who's, you know, also brilliant and can help the doctor do something when the doctor's not there and handle the situation. Yes, to drive the story as opposed to waiting around for the doctor to do something. Yeah. And that's not a knock on, let's say, Katie Manning, who was playing Joe Grant, who was also wonderful, uh, but was, was given very specific definitions that her character could do and not do, and did it in a brilliant way, of course, but um, from from driving the story, from having characters that that you that you felt were were doing something, you look at the stories of Perry's first season, and there's there's some very remarkable things going on, and that only happened because of of having uh, Liz Shaw as a companion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and even though this era was kind of restrained, being that it was mostly taking place on Earth, the series did not um, did not you know falter because of that they did innovate and his error did ushered in um iconic characters and and uh that still remain today i mean we have it introduced the master and the the last series of doctor who who was the adversary who was the, what was the season series finale about um the master is back and um we have uh, int- introduced um sarah jane smith and who's spun off in, in her own tv series today sarah jane smith we had um, we were just talking about the Santarans. The Santarans were introduced during the John Pertwee era. Um, I'm sure there's um, you know the Autons were in the first new episode. The Autons, that's right. You also had um, the first uh, the first multi doctor. I was story. just gonna. That's exactly right. I was you just gonna say that. You also had the name uh, the, the the planet being named Gallifrey, all taking place in Pertwee's era. 
um, all these things, all these very, like you said, very strong, iconic things. That, the mentioning even of Unit in Christopher Eccleston's season. Uh, yes, they didn't reintroduce Unit to the point where he's now active. They've kind of re-envisioned that into Torchwood. But the, the foundation is Unit and, and the beginnings. Uh, yes, Unit began in the, in the trial Probably. era as an experiment, but it was because it worked in Troutman's era that they actually based the entire show around it from that point forward. Bessie, <laughs> the car, yes. I, as Dave said in chat, Bessie. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, although, uh, you know, the series, that's also when it started going in the direction of the Doctor and one female companion, uh, which has been a very popular set, uh, you know, very popular way of doing it. Well, it's uh, also it, the, the, the foundations of the Doctor and Rose in the new series are based, if you were going to pick a combination, it would be Pertwee and Joe Grant, that there is a girl who maybe is a little infatuated with the Doctor, and the Doctor has this, um, this uh, unspoken uh, caring or perhaps feelings for her, and, and that's where it began. It didn't begin with Victoria or Zoe or, or, or any of the female companions prior to that. Uh, yes, the Doctor yeah. cared, but they were always very clearly tag-alongs. They were coming along for the ride, with Joe was the first really hinting that that um, she looked at him with different kind of eyes. Mm-hmm. And, and how could you know? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was just going to mention, um, even, uh, you know, we, we spoke about Unit having its origin in Troughton, but it was really fleshed out and really had its groundwork laid and, and, and brought to life during the Pertry Hour. You could argue the same thing with the Sonic Screwdriver, even though Troughton introduced it. I don't associate the Sonic Screwdriver so much with Troughton as I do with John Pertwee, where he really utilized that. And also uh, the Doctor's passion for gadgets and um, really was brought to life during the Pertwee era. Well, one of the things that's always mentioned when you mention the Pertwee era is the influence of James Bond on the show. And that, mm-hmm. that is definitely evident in the, in the Pertwee era. And, and in, in some ways, that's how I became a Doctor Who fan. I mistook... Doctor Who with Doctor No as a young whippersnapper and said, oh, I'll put this on. I want to see what all this spy stuff's all about. And turned into a science fiction show. (laughs) Hey, I I turned on James Bond and Doctor Who showed up. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I do want to remind everyone, uh, you can call in. We do have um, Tin Dog waiting in the wings, and um, we're going to hear from him in a second. Um, again, if anyone wants to call into the show, it's um, our number here is seven. What, what's our number again? <laughs> Hold on. It's uh, 724-444-7444, and the TalkCast ID number is 23358. And you don't have to be a talk cast. Uh, you don't have to be a talk shoe member, uh, though. If you are, you can join in the chat. But you can just call in and put yourself in the queue. So we're gonna um, hear from from um, a fellow podcaster. Hello, Tin Dog. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Not bad at all. How's things going over there? Well, it's great to have you on the show. And um, thank you. Oh, just for the record, the... I just realized um, nobody actually knows what my name is. It's Michael. 
How you doing, Michael? <laughs> Look at all just everyone's dog, going, it's, it's the tin dog. And I'm thinking, why is everyone doing that? And then I thought, oh, yes, it's because nobody actually knows who I am. There you go. Well, it's sort of, the, it's sort of doctorish that way. <laughs> That's true. In that case, I'm only known as the tin dog. You're the international man of mystery. Oh, without question. No. <laughs> okay, well, we should, um, for, for those that don't know, and, and um, you, sh- you should... Uh, take an opportunity to listen to the Tin Dog podcast that Michael you host. Yes, yes, it's a little bit shorter than yours, but I'm sure that's not a problem. <laughs> that, that Almost any no- podcast out there is a little bit shorter than ours, <laughs> and that's probably <laughs> welcome to <laughs> Yes, I come in well under seventy-six hours. War and Peace <laughs> is a little bit shorter than ours. <laughs> Oh, I just wanted to join in with the whole um, John Pertwee thing. Um, I must admit, I'm a bit of a Pertwee fan, but um, I was born in 1972, so I was actually born about three hours early enough to watch the second episode of Sea Devils. <laughs> Apparently, I missed it because I was too busy just sort of gurgling away. But um, it's nice to work out which episode was playing when you were born. But it's mm. sort of like astrology, but it's a Doctor Who based. But anyway. Uh, I was born in the, in the uh, Terror of the Autons. Part two and three is sandwiched in between that. It's funny how people do that. I'm like, when was I born? Oh, I was born around this episode. I <laughs> uh, see. My best friend was born um, just in time for Tomb of the Cybermen, so that gives him a bit of credibility on that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wanted to say that because obviously when I was born, my doctor was, was Tom Baker, and, and to me, Tom Pertwee was uh, well was Wurzel Gummidge for a very long time, and I didn't really pay much attention to him till um, the BBC showed. You know, the five faces of Doctor Who in that whole Tom Baker-Davidson crossover thing. And I thought, um, you see, I think it was Carnival of Monsters was the first one I ever saw. And I was just kind of, yeah, yeah, I want more of this. But obviously, as time went by, I mean, we didn't even, we had a Betamax recorder at the time, so that just wasn't going to happen. But eventually, um, I got round to buying some on VHS, and it was just, John was the Doctor to me. It was just brilliant. I so enjoyed him. And of course, the one thing, the, some of the things that we haven't mentioned about uh, John were the audios, which came, of course, afterwards. You know, the Ghosts of Endspace and Paradise of Death. No, they're not as popular with fans as other things, but without those, I don't think Big Finish would have been the company they are today. I know they had no little to do with it, but the BBC had the ideas of going, let's do some audios. Oh, we've got some track record with that. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's so, interesting... Um, that that you spoke about, you know, that that you were born um, during the Pertwee era, and and being local to, uh, you know, to BBC transmissions and all that. Here in the states, us fans uh, that have been uh, been fans for twenty some odd years, uh, I remember the time when we didn't have John Pertwee, and it was, um, you know, all we had were from Tom Baker onwards, and. Getting the, when we finally had a chance to see the, I mean, our exposure to John Pertwee was only from like the five doctors, and um, everything else was from books and magazines and um, whatever other resource material we can get our little grubby hands on. And <laughs> it was great to finally see these classic episodes um, when they were finally introduced in the uh, mid 80s. At, at, you know, at, at one point, I think it was the New Jersey Network in our area got them first. And, we had to like point our antennas every Saturday and they were showing them oh, in yeah. movie format and um, we, we would watch them um, with, gra- you know, the snowy grain, however we could get them. It was, um, it was gold. <laughs> well, I tell you, one of the things 
I, I tell a story about this all the time. If I would have actually seen it, seen Doctor Who not on UHF, I probably would have noticed that the sets were wobbly. And I, I think I, you know, being a UHF, uh, the sets never would, wobbled. It was just your TV yeah. screen. <laughs> it's just the TV screen. It must be the reception. Um, but yes, and, and I remember my that? first thoughts on on Perry were, wow, these episodes are long. <laughs> <laughs> Because, well, the New Jersey Network would string the episodes together to make them a movie, and they would show the one story each, you know, every Saturday night. So uh, a seven-parter was a very long story. It was a long night. Yes. There was an interview with, um, I think it was with one of the writers, and they, they were talking about talking with uh, Russell T. and about handing in his script, and Russell gave him a ring and said, you know what you've done is you've done the same mistake as everyone else. You've written for John Pertwee again. And I just like the idea of Mark Gatiss going, oh, no, I've written for John Pertwee. What a shame. Never mind. <laughs> I think, I think uh, you did touch on something earlier that, that is really important to me about Pertwee's time. I think it's the morality of the, of the stories. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's things in those stories that have, that have influenced me throughout my life. And they influenced me so much that during um, what was it, Impossible Planet, I was just thinking about the demons and the way that they're not monsters, they're not gods, they're just big aliens. Yeah. And David Tennant's approach to that whole thing being reversed, and now I know Russell's a big, uh, apparently a big atheist, but it just jarred so much because I just had John Pertwee's doctor in my head going, no, I don't want infinite power, I don't want any of that, because that's not for me. And that meant a lot more to me than, than Impossible Planet or, or you know, the second part. And it's the same with the Green Death as well, you know. Um, some of the ideas that you mentioned earlier just do they get into you, into your head, and you start thinking, yes, actually, we are doing that. We are doing that to the planet. Could we just sort of sort this out? And there's a lot of that in John Pertwee's time. Absolutely. Also, that he came from so much of a comedy background that the interjection of a certain type of humor um, was very evident in his era. There's always been humor in Doctor Who. Uh, but particularly that he was known for being a, a comic actor prior to, to joining Doctor Who, and then took a serious approach to being the Doctor, yes, which was, yeah. at the time was considered to be a stretch. Um, but I mean, still... it's arguably his, his best straight rule ever. His yeah. most straight rule was this. Because at the but, time, yeah. they expected him to be funny, and they, you know, he was going to kind of come off like what Patrick Troughton did and just you know, be goofier and funnier. And he took it as a straight, you know, he, he went a completely different direction that, uh, from what he was expected, you know, what the audience were expecting. Because he was in the Navy Lark and other comedy series, that, uh, radio and television, whatever. So um, it was um, a, a change of uh, switching gears for John Pertwee, but it worked. And as a couple of a little tiny points in the, in the John Pertwee era, these little oddities that are just so brilliant, uh, he's the only doctor to have a tattoo. That we yes, that, that was a whole thing, wasn't there? Where I mean, I, did, I didn't expect all the other actors to have him head to toe, but that we know of. <laughs> well, I mean, no, that we've it, seen on... whole retrospective thing where, where fans kept saying that it was a, a mark left from Gallifrey to prove that he was a criminal. Ah. Um, mm. And it That's just what I know. It was shaped like an anchor or whatever it was. Uh, I think it was a snake, actually. Um, yeah. I think. Ah, which could have the whole master connection. Mm. Oh, there you go. Doc, Doctor Who fans are quite willing to read absolutely anything into anything. It's lovely. <laughs> That's the brilliance of the I'm, show. I'm, 
when I was doing my degree, I, uh, I sent John Pertwee a letter um, asking him uh, if he would do you know, the cheek of a young student, saying, would you mind possibly doing the voice for one of my animated films? And the guy was so good, he wrote back and said, uh, yes, just pop round to my house. Now, it was sort of hundreds and hundreds of miles away, but he, he invited me round for the afternoon just to record some soundtracks for some animated films I did. And he was, he was so great. And you could not pay for something like that. You get to spend, what, three or four hours in the company of John just talking about, you know, different designs for Bessie and how the engine blew up one day and stories that you just don't hear anyone else, anywhere else. And I didn't realize how privileged I was until I was actually shooting the animation to fit with the sound. And somebody came into the recording studio and said, um, I don't really want to tell you this on the day when you're filming, but you know, John's just died. And... It did sort of cast a huge shadow over things, but, but afterwards I realized how completely privileged I was to, to get to spend some time with him. Well, it was we, just brilliant. We would be really remiss if we did this podcast without mentioning what an incredible personality and, and presence John Pertwee had in person. Um, you know, in addition to yourself, Ken and I had you know spent time with him and interviewed him and uh, seen him um, with other actors that were on you know on board mm. with the show and uh how he interacted with patrick troughton and and colin baker uh, i mean there i must just admit, no never one like to him. a convention with him Zoom. something i'm enormously jealous of for you well, seeing him at a convention that would have been wonderful my first uh experience at icon here in, in suny stony brook new york uh was the weekend that john pertwee was the main guest and when i tell you that the man had the entire convention enthralled for 72 hours it's not an exaggeration where he went people followed everything he did everything he said was magic he did a cabaret he sang he told jokes yeah the the, when you left that weekend you were inspired you were entertained you were uh, on so many levels you're just blown away by by the magic that seemed to surround the man yeah, no, no, no one wanted to follow him on the cop, you know, in the cabaret. Everyone's like, you know, saying, you know, John Perry has over. all this experience. I don't really have that, so mine, you know, my act isn't going to be that good. But you know, and no to one... this day, he sets the tone at any cabaret you go to. Yes. The, the benchmark yeah. is set by John Pertwee. If you ever go to a convention and they have a cabaret where some of the actors or some of the talent that's there get a chance to perform. In my mind, the watermark, the benchmark, is John Pertwee. And until someone comes near it, it it's just a, it's not a cabaret. And he could pull out these funny stories out of his out of his hat at any time. And it was just incredible. He was so sharp, so witty, and very intelligent, and um, had a great personality. And and like I said, a, a presence that I have yet to see anyone else match. One of the things that we've always been blessed with as Doctor Who fans is actors. Uh, lead actor with a ridiculous charisma. And this is, John Pertwee is probably, again, the, the benchmark for, for that. Um, every, doctor's, every doctor brings something special with, uh, with their personality and, and the magic that surrounds them. Uh, but his in particular, Tom Baker once described him in a, on a document, sort of a glittering light bulb. And there's no more perfect... Um, description of John Pertwee than a light bulb because he is bright, he's alive, illuminated, there's an energy inside of it. That perfectly describes John Pertwee. Technical difficulties have occurred with the hosts of this podcast. Please. 
Do not adjust your broadband connection. Thank you. Hello? Yes. Okay. All right. I, I wasn't sure what happened. Is Lewis still there? Oh. Oh, my. That that must be what's wrong. <laughs> that, that, that Lewis seemed to have disappeared? It's a black hole. Oh, my. <laughs> I don't know, Baps Lewis is caught in a time eddy. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to send another doctor to retrieve him. Oh, yeah, you know. Well, well Joe and I are here, so we'll carry on. <laughs> Excellent. We'll carry on. Let's go on to our review of Invasion of the Dinosaurs, part four. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Uh, I was watching the Time Monster the other day, and the amount of of little innuendos flying through that story are ridiculous. <laughs> they can't. They. I don't know how they got away with saying Tom Tit on a on a minute by minute basis. <laughs> Yeah, I try not to watch uh, Time Monster too much uh, because of all the cheese that I'm supposed to watch my cholesterol. And, uh, you know. There's a scene where Partway is in Bessie with with Joe, and they're waiting for the brigadier who comes out of this, you know, uh, out of his doorway. And Partway says what amounts to uh, do F off. To the brigadier, the brigadier is like, I'm hurrying or something. His, his like follow-up line is just his regular line. But if you listen quite carefully, I, I do believe Hartley slips one in there. <laughs> I was like, what did he just say? <coughs> and I had to rewind it. Like, you know, do blank off, brigadier. And <laughs> like, what? <laughs> he doesn't say the word hurry. It doesn't even rhyme with hurry. <laughs> Wow. Mm. Now, I, now I'm intrigued. Um, yes, for your next that I, the time monster. Yeah, although one complaint is I have to say the Dalek stories in the Pertwee era were a little lackluster with the possible exception of Planet of the Daleks. Yeah, I like Planet of the Daleks mostly because it seemed like a, a, a very straightforward, just adventure story. Uh, yeah. Day of the Daleks was, a, was an interesting time travel story. Oh, and there's the Daleks. You know, yeah. take the Daleks out, and the story still works. They, they really don't drive the story. As a matter of fact, they do, they do the exact opposite. To me, they, they muddle the story. And, yeah. uh, and, and Death to the Daleks is just pure nonsense. You know, I just see the story just, just ridiculous. Yeah, Alvin, the soundtrack is great. Yeah. Really, the the only you know that that Pertwee's last season, story wise, you had the Time Warrior, which was to me was a very strong story, but then you had Invasion of the Dinosaurs, which had a lot going on and and suffered from the dinosaur special effects. And you have the Peladon story, which is okay, and you have the uh, you know the Dalek story, which is is weak. 
And then you get to the planet of the spiders, which is really just indulging Pertwee on his last outing, making him extremely heroic and get to do a lot of James Bond kind of stuff. And oh, and, and yeah. there's spiders involved. And, you know. Yeah. Well, that that was great. The the hallmark of that, I believe, is episode two, where it's a 25 minute chase scene. Yeah, it just goes on forever. <laughs> Yeah, they're in Again, cars, they're in boats, they're flying. Uh, if you would delete that episode and just go from from the, the episode prior to it to the episode after it, you miss nothing <laughs> story-wise. <laughs> you know exactly where you are. Yeah. Uh, it, it was an interesting story. Um, they did the whole thing with sort of... Uh, I kind of like the bit with the other Time Lord and the regeneration thing and doing a little bit of that and hinting to that, but I, I other like than that, that, you know, and then... I, I thought his regeneration into Tom Baker was excellent. I really liked the way it was handled. Yeah, it, it, it was done really well, and it's amazing how young Tom Baker looks there, and then you watch Logopolis, and you're like, what happened to you? Uh-huh. You know, well, and that kind of works for for him as well because it, it yeah. he's approaching the end of his regeneration. I'm uh, emailing Lewis right now. There's no chance that you and I are just talking. The podcast is consumed without us. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be part of it, but yeah, no, that's good. But yeah, I don't know. I think I fall. I really, really enjoy John Pertwee's first three seasons. And then I feel like the ride starts getting a little bumpier after that. Like season 10, uh, yeah, the 10th season, I guess. Um, you know, with uh, the three doctors and Carnival Monsters and Green Death and those stories, and I felt were... You know, it was, I thought, solid, but I didn't think it was up to par with the previous season. Yes. And it, it really, it, it starts out with a, with a, what amounts to an incredible season, a, a very unusual season, too, with four, seven, seven, and seven-parters. You know, that's yeah. it's unheard of. You know, it wasn't done, it never really been done or even attempted again. Yeah. And that part of that was by accident because I believe one of maybe two of those stories were only set to be four or six parters and they, they kept in, saying, Oh, we we'll give you another part, you know, we'll give you another episode. And isn't that uh Inferno one of them and they, they did the it was I think it was Inferno was supposed to be four parts and they were like, What do we do with the other three? Oh, let's just throw an alternate reality in there and... I don't know. If it was it was the most it was the most serendipitous bit of storytelling ever because really the episode is made by that journey sideways, you know? Yeah. That journey sideways is what makes takes Inferno from being, you know, this story about drilling into the earth and makes it some kind of morality play. Yeah. No, it's definitely a great story. Glad it's on DVD. And I'm I'm surprised Florians is coming out so fast. They've really rushed out uh, his first season. And I like that a lot. Yes, me too. I thought that they might hold off. They've been trying to hold off on some of the black and white stuff, 
or you know black and white stuff that was converted to color because yeah. they were hoping to find better prints. But perhaps the technology now allows them to to pull it off with a you know a degree of respect. Hey Joe, I'm going to suggest that we we try to redial in on the off chance that you and I are just chatting away and and that's okay. continuing without us. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you on the other side. Sure. Bye. Bye. Technical difficulties have occurred with the hosts of this podcast. Please do not adjust your broadband connection. Thank you. Can you hear me? Okay, well, I'm showing up as number 74. I could not log in under my name because I'm already logged in according to TalkShoe. And it looks like we lost Ken and Joe as well. Michael? Hello. Hi, Michael. I got you uh, unmuted and back on the show. Uh, That's great. Well, Ken and Joe are not showing up as online on my screen. Um, they were here a moment ago, and they said, uh, let's all log out in case nobody else is here and we're talking to ourselves. And sadly, <laughs> they weren't talking to themselves. We were talking to everyone. Um, but I don't know. There's nobody else here. Well, so now the here. cabaret. <laughs> I... I, Ken was speaking, and I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what point it was. And then all of a sudden, he, I thought it was just Ken had trouble with his audio. And then I realized it was not just Ken, it was me. And somehow I was um, going out. I also, yeah, you lost me as well. And oh, uh, right. I thought I'd just switch everything off and come back in. But then when I came back in, I thought it was just me. And weirdly, everyone else was going, no, we've lost lots of people. So, <laughs> All right, well. Would it help there? We'll try to wrap up the show. I, I, we have Dave. Um, Michael, do you mind staying on board while we just wrap up the show? Not at all. all right, Not thanks. at all. And um, if Joe and Ken come on, come back in the meantime, all the better. Uh, very strange. <laughs> First time this has happened during a live show. But you know. This is, so who's next? Is it? It's Dave. Yeah. Dave's going to give it. Hello, Dave. Hello. Hello. How are you? Fine, thanks. You know what I think it is, you know? I think the master's come aboard right on cue. I think it's one of his evil schemes. He's decided things were going... Things were going too smoothly. He's decided... Yeah, it was going very smooth, and then um, it all went down. (laughs) Thank you, master. (laughs) Uh, well, hopefully, um, I mean, I don't mind just giving a few uh, pointers and then we'll see if they, they get back in because um, um, <clears throat> everybody was really very enthusiastic about John Pertwee and, and I was as well. And I think the last point that I, I caught was uh, when they were talking about uh, that a lot of people were thinking that because of his comedy background that uh, John Pertwee would come in and play it as a comedy character. Um but he didn't. He actually played it very straight. And I was watching uh, uh, from YouTube uh, earlier today one of the, um, the the fundraising things that you have in America on your public service broadcasts. And it, it was the one they were playing when um, there was John Nathan Turner, there was um, uh, John Pertwee, and uh, the Seventh Doctor um, was uh, was just about to. St- that's right. He was just about to start. And um, John Nathan Turner was saying that, um, that the reason why they'd cast um, 
same as the seventh doctor um was the fact that to bring more humor into it but of course with john pertwee that's what we expected and i was a, a little bit worried at the first because um there was the scene where he's in the hospital and um he's doing some rather strange things as these doctors do um he wouldn't let them take the shoes away from him he was clutching them in bed uh, and then he, he, he when he first sees his face he's pulling all sorts of his uh comic uh, uh visages and um I thought at first, uh, oh no, he's going to spoil it. Uh, the Navy Lark seemed to be written all over it. But in actual fact, I thought he was excellent. And he brought a little bit of um, elegance, of, as, as people have said, uh, not just in his dress, but in his stature and um, uh, his bearing and um, in, in the way that he, he fitted quite in. And um, I was actually amazed looking again at some of my books um, that, as Ken said, he he was the longest serving doctor at this particular time. He did uh, 24 stories, I think, and uh, amazingly, um, and, and and you and I have, uh, have talked with others about this, Ken, that our present doctor doesn't get off world, and and there's in theory no restriction why he can't, but yet the third doctor who was. Um, uh, banished to Earth as it was, uh, I had a quick count up, and at least seven of the stories he gets off world, if not for the whole story, uh, he gets off the world, like in his last story, Planet of the Spiders, some, at least some part of it is on an alien world. So, really, these stories um, were vast in their range. We had the um, the Inferno that I think Joe talked about earlier, which is one of my favourites, where he goes to the parallel version of Earth. And um, I think he was quite right. That was uh, one of Liz Shaw's uh, best um, appearances as the Doctor's companion. And um, Quite definitely influenced the Cyberman story. Without question on that one. Certainly. And um, yes, of course, for, with the current series. And um, although uh, she did leave early, apparently um, she had just found out that she was pregnant. And so uh, at the very moment they were going to let her go, uh, she apparently was going to approach the subject of having to leave herself at the end of the season. But um, that at least led on to Joe Grant, who was obviously so different. And in many ways, um, some earlier speakers have said um, that the uh, the Doctor patronised her a little. But um, I think a lot of Joe Grant, um, I mean, the actress's own um, personality came through in this. And I think they built on it, this sort of scatterbrained girl. And um, I think the Doctor, he was almost not just a... Um, an older chap, he almost became her uncle. It was almost really as close a relationship as as the first Doctor had with his granddaughter. Um, and I put on the chat earlier, Lewis, that um, one of the saddest scenes was in a, at the end of the the Green yeah. Death, where yeah, where Joe's decided that she, uh, she's going to stay with that Welsh scientist boyfriend of hers, and. Uh, the, the doctor gives her the, the blue crystal from Metabilis 3 or whatever it is. And um, he then uh, sneaks off. And it's it's a very sad thing because that is something 
and, and, and you've talked about it as well, uh, Lewis, the echoes in the current series with, with the third Doctor, because as he goes off, you, you see that although, you know, he's, he's a, a, a really intelligent man, he travels the world, his life spans, uh, you know, hundreds of years, uh, but like the tenth Doctor says, you can share your life with me, but I can't share my life with you. And you see quite a lot of sadness in the way that he goes off again, once again, uh, without a companion. Mm-hmm. And um, I only watched that course, story um, on Friday, and, and you're completely right. It's a very, very touching ending. But I also like the way that the third Doctor drives off in the final shot, um, into the distance, like the lone hero he is, sort of doing opera to himself. It's a really nice ending to that, yeah. that whole story. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's very well. well, well, well I would well, recommend that as a great introduction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think. Uh, uh, I mean, he didn't have any male companions. He he had the obviously those three great companions, and of course, then we come on to Sarah Jane Smith, who who was different and more forceful again. And and I um, which you talked again about the the Santarans coming back, Louis. Well, of course, that was Sarah Jane's first adventure if I remember mm-hmm. rightly yeah. uh, was that the Time Warrior yeah. and, and, and I, I loved it I like them, I like the idea that um, you know they had this very methodical uh, way they, would, they couldn't execute a plan until everything had been agreed with the, um, the, 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 uh, the powers that be and, and the very fact of the uh, you know the shape of the heads and the military bearing uh, they believe, I believe it's supposed to have come from a um, uh, a high density planet or a high gravity planet, yeah. which which was to account for their their shape, but also the way they were very slow moving, mm-hmm. and uh, um, although they were very strong and there was no way you could overpower one, um, they they were a little bit slow footed and clumsy in that sense, uh, and I love their little circular spaceships, and again referring back to the the new season. At one point, I almost thought those little spheres of the uh, the toglophane yeah. uh, were almost like uh, mini Sontaran spaceships. Um, mm-hmm. can, so, can um, I just pick up on something there? Jump it, in, yes. It was, um, yeah, well, it was just, I, I know I do this as well. Um, we, we all think that the Third Doctor had no male companions at all, but we, because the Brigadier was so well drawn yeah. and the... Benson and Yates, we, we just we just don't think of them as companions, but they were in the stories so much that it is arguable that that they are the male companions of the yeah, third I Doctor. But, but but they were so they well executed. The role, yeah. Because the Brigadier is such a it's such a greatly drawn character. He's, he's not a caricature, and it'd be so easy for that to have happened. But but I always think that the Brigadier is, is vastly underrated. Because we just oh, yes. forget him because he's such such a fixture of the, of the stories. He, he could almost warrant a, a, a pod shock on his own, I would think. He could. Mm-hmm. He could. Oh, I must yeah. admit, uh, um, the other the other main character from, from the Third Doctor's time, I think, is the Master. Well, I think he would definitely you, need a whole podcast. I'm coming on before yeah. you next time, uh, Malcolm. Is it? <laughs> you know, I mean, because you, you're saying half the things I wanted to say. Um, I'm sorry. Tell you what, I'll, I'll sit back and I'll just listen. <laughs> no, no, you're great. No, no, I appreciate it. Uh, but the very next thing I've got noted down here is um, with Roger Delgado, it was almost a two-hander with the Doctor. 
that, that's my little prompt note I've got written down here. And um, I love Roger Delgado. Um, I think, well, we, we've talked about this before again, Lewis, and uh, it's not just you and me talking, I realise that, but it, it, he really was such a, a fantastic uh, personality and his, his presence on camera, so mesmeric. I mean, mm-hmm. you could actually believe that um, he could take these followers. And um, if you think about um, one of his other stories where, oh gosh, what's the name of it? The one where he, he, he becomes uh, Mr. M- uh, Masters, the, the, demons. the, the vicar one. Mm. Uh, the one where they're in the, yes, with, with Bok in it. The the demons, um, the, the demons, so, yeah. the Damien, the Damien's. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. um, I mean, either way, yeah. It, the, the fact that he would be almost the leader of a coven. I mean, you can see that he he has that absolute power, and uh, he appears uh, at least I think five times in the uh, John Pertwee seasons, and of course uh, I think that was um, his very last appearance with the. Uh, Dot because of unfortunately his own sad uh, demise um, around that time. Yeah, it was a car so, accident. Uh, and we lost him, and I mean he would have been. Um, I mean they, they were writing for him, you know, for later stories, which never came to be because of his uh, untimely death. Yeah, and and uh, again when I called back, talked about that little um, fundraising chat that um, I listened to with the the third Dot on it. Uh, when they asked about why he le- left, he said, well, it seemed to be a sea change. One or two of the um, the, the directors and producers were leaving. And, 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 of course, he was very, very good friends with Roger Delgado. Uh, and you almost felt as though his heart wasn't in it. Uh, and um, as I said, uh, before the actual recording started, uh, the, the episode I was watching earlier today was The Mind of Evil, which... Um, uh, is a, a great two-hander between the two of them. Although it could be argued that, and I think I thought it at the time, the master got a little bit overused because um, where they would start episodes and supposedly you didn't know who was behind the plot, um, it, it became almost as though it must be the master because yeah. um, they returned to him time and time again. Um but, uh, yeah, excellent. Uh, one of the things that surprised me, uh, he was uh, uh, talked about on another radio interview that uh, he wasn't actually paid that very much at the time. Uh, he said something, he's quoted as saying, he was only paid £350 a week. Not an episode. Now, that's obviously about $700. Now, we're going back, obviously, 20-odd years. But even if you get, put a 10 times factor on that, it's only sort of seven to 10000 a week. Um, and of course, he said it took up so much of his time because um, one of the other great things about um, his uh, time as the Doctor, they did an awful lot of location shooting. Um, they actually went out and, uh, and filmed a lot of the scenes, um, and of course, that added to the uh, the effects. Uh, one last thing about that Mind of Evil, uh, it's actually it was at the time the most expensive. Um, story that they'd filmed because they they had to have a helicopter in it, they had uh, cars and so on uh, uh, and they had to hire the use of that uh, building that was uh, to take the point, uh, the part of the prison mm-hmm. but all in all uh, Lewis uh, he was an absolutely great doctor and as you said 
so many things have stemmed from his time there. Uh, and each doctor that we've covered in the last three uh, live podcasts, uh, we owe a debt to all three of them. And um, each one has been able to move the... Yeah, each, each doctor has been able, or each actor has been able to move the doctor and the mythos of the doctor forward. And of course, I don't think one thing we haven't perhaps covered yet, although I know you want to bring it to an end soon, Lewis, is that uh, we do hear quite a little bit more about Gallifrey from this doctor because uh, because he's banished to Earth. The only time he actually goes off Earth is when um, he's doing it uh, because um, the uh, the Time Lords have sent him on a mission. Yeah. Well, I don't know whether you want to round things off with that, or uh, whether the we can C- get Merlin or someone else to just the, chip in at the end. Yeah, the CIA, the Celestial Intervention Agency, and um, we um, it was the the three doctors where he was. Um, we see a bit of Gallifrey there, and um, interesting enough, though, it was during uh, John Pertwee's five year run that um, the one. Uh, what we know today as an iconic adversary that, that did not make an appearance were the Cybermen, even though they had such a strong presence during the Patrick Troughton era. Um, no Cybermen stories during John Pertwee's five-year run. No, John definitely had, a, had to go with the Daleks, though. Yes. Every five minutes. <laughs> oh, look, it's the Daleks or the Master. Let's spin the coin and find out which head is up. Oh, it's the Daleks this time. That's nice. <laughs> And we saw. But um, I must admit, I would have loved to have seen a, a third Doctor Cyberman story. Oh yeah, absolutely. We, uh, but he. But of course, he came across. He came across them in the Five Doctors, didn't he? Uh, um, oh yes, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, but and we saw the Draconians, the Oregon, the 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 Ogrons, um, the, the I, I know John Pertwee had commented that he always enjoyed, you know, speaking of Daleks, that he always preferred working with monsters or aliens that had uh, the actor's face somehow where the actor's face could be um, exposed in a way that can convey emotion and expression as opposed to the Daleks where they just, you know, obviously cannot do that through through a Dalek um, housing. But um, but the... The Draconians the, really would Draconians, be an ideal yeah. race to bring back. Mm-hmm. Because you've got that whole, um, the sort of thing that Russell likes, you know, societies that can interact and things like that. Yeah. And he likes colonists on other worlds. If, if you're ever going to meet some other race, something with a nod to the past, but something that we don't know a huge amount about, like the Draconians, would be great. Mm. Yeah. And, and of course, one of the other stories that w- it was one of my uh, favourite stories was the Carnival of the Monsters, which which brought in a whole new dimension, literally, in the story where where they're trapped in that machine. And sure. of course, um, uh, Ian Martyr, or whatever he was called, the chap who ended up playing Harry Sullivan, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, played a part in that. Um, uh, and then we had quite a lot of stories uh, that involved um, uh, little um, time loops and. Um, uh, Kronos the Time Monster and things like that that have been used more and more with later Doctors. And I, I also um, the, um, and the of course, Daleks does have a very strong similarity to Terminator uh, plot-wise. Yes. But, yeah, uh, we're not going to hold that against anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, that was lifted from, um, I think it was an Outer Limits episode, so I'm hardly going to cast aspersions. <laughs> And the other thing, Lewis, is that, that we, we also, in I think it was Frontier of Space, um, we got to the idea of where the, the Daleks have like a slave race. Uh, in that case, it was the Ogrons. Yeah. Ogrons. 
Uh, now, of course, in the in the newer series that perhaps more uh, our listeners are more familiar with, um, in the the uh, the Manhattan story, where they use the uh, the pig human pig creatures, um, but it, it, also again the uh, for those well. people. Right. Yes, but in the point of the fact that the, the Daleks have in the past, uh, from the Third Doctor, uh, you know, oh, had yeah, a sort Daleks. of slave race sure. to do their um, you know, things. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and he's got some great species as well. I mean, um, in his very last story, The Planet of the Spiders, where the uh, the, the Queen Spider wants um, infinite power, and um, he says quite a few wise words there, where all these megalomaniacs that try and take over the world, they want this ultimate power. And, of course, the Doctor um, realises that that just isn't possible. And, and one last thing, and I will stop there, Lewis, is the, um, we also find another Time Lord, don't we? Because there's the um, uh, Compo... Yeah, the Planet of Spiders. I uh, can't pronounce his name. Yeah. The, well, the, the, the old the one who becomes yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right, and he's the one, of course, that um, comes back to nudge um, the doctor when his um, regeneration is oh. is faltering, and, and and that brings us really towards the end of uh, Pertwee's tenure as the doctor. Mm-hmm. And so, if you were introducing John to to the third doctor to a new fan, what story do you think would be a good move? Would would be best to introduce someone to the third doctor? Oh, right. Well, we had so mentioned I think I'd probably Green Death. We've mentioned, um, uh, I mean, um, well, Inferno would be. Inferno I think the, in I think way, the Time Warrior. Inferno, yes, yeah, definitely Inferno for me. Sorry, I just We shouldn't forget the. Uh, simply because most... it, uh... Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. I was going to say simply because in the in the Inferno you, you get some. Um, the aspects of the, you know, the, the parallel Earth, which any new uh, viewer might be familiar with from the, the parallel uh, world that the, the Cybermen come from. So that might um, see something that they can latch onto. Also, the fact that um, he's desperately trying to get the TARDIS back working, which again would um, uh, help them realise that, you know, he is trapped on Earth and. Um, he says to Liz Shaw, she says something, but you've got it working. But he said, no, no, I want it to work for me, not not when the Time Lords send me off on some chase. And um, mm. and of course, it's a, a marvelous one for the for introducing the Brigadier as well. So I think it, yeah, it would have to be the Inferno as the uh, the one I would recommend. Well, also John Pertwee probably could be argued as the first doctor to introduce a catchphrase that would be associated with him, which John Pertwee probably would be cat, uh, reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, because um, you know every other I mean previous to him, <laughs> you can't really pinpoint one phrase that any you know particular doctor such as Hartnell or Pat, uh, Patrick Troughton, um, you know coined, but that one you can easily associate with. Um, John Pertwee and, um, you know, and since then there have been other phrases that come to mind with other doctors. We do have um, one other person waiting in the queue to be in um, to be heard from Travis. And we're going to briefly take him and then we're going to wrap things up. Not a problem. Travis. Hi. Hello. 
Hey, well, hey. hello. Welcome hello, to Dodging Pawtrock. Um, yes, I just wanted to fly. I overslept, so I missed the whole thing, unfortunately. But well, I thought I'd buzz in real quick. We had a I technical snafu, otherwise we probably wouldn't be here talking oh. right now. So, um, oh, really? It kind of worked out in your favor, or at all of our Oh, favors. okay. All right, then. Well, Come on, I Travis, to... to find All right. Well, I wanted to, well, I wanted to listen to the whole thing, because John Percher, even though I started watching Doctor Who back, like, in, like, 84, 85, like, towards the end of the series, well, before it went off the air, mm-hmm. the first episode I ever actually saw of Doctor Who was, a John Pertwee episode, so, and it was the Carnival of Monsters, so, and that thing, like, hooked me, I was like, ooh, what's this, you know, I gotta, I gotta watch this, so I, I want to thank John Pertwee for the fact that I'm actually a Doctor Who fan. I'm quite sure your statement is echoed by many Doctor Who fans out there, so, um, he, he really ushered in, I mean, he brought to life, he, he re-energized the series, um, you know, yeah. as we said earlier, and really brought it to a new level. And, uh, you know, from there, you know, and, and, and in one respect, um, perhaps his management to Earth really um, fueled the momentum for Tom Baker's era, where he was once again exploring space and getting off of Earth. And, and that, that made oh, it yeah. even that much more exciting after... Um, being on Earth for so long with John Pertwee, but it wasn't so bad with John Pertwee being stuck on Earth. No, it wasn't because was it had a more. Delight. Yeah, it had that whole kind of like totally different kind of feel to it because he was like stuck to Earth for a specific reason, not the whole like he's visiting the relatives and stuff. You know that, and and it all. I think some of the stuff. I think you guys must have been talking about the Master's Reign. That was the best, you know, the Master and and. It also first introduced the Time Lords and, you know, a lot of the, the great stuff from his era, and it just kind of had a better continuity of mm-hmm. him being stuck on Earth. But that's all I, I really think the difference to... is that I, I think the difference is that um, the Third Doctor was stuck on Earth, and yeah. we're stuck on Earth with the Tenth Doctor, although the Tenth Doctor could leave, he yes. just doesn't. Yeah, see, it's not yeah. quite the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. I feel the same way. You know, at least there was an explanation that that justified it. Alrighty, well, uh, Travis, thanks for calling in. No problem. Uh, we're going to wrap things up here. Any other final comments before we bring the show to a close? Not at all. But thank you for having me, and well, I'll come thank back you, Michael. You and how can listeners find the Tin Dog Podcast? Um, you can either go to iTunes and type in Tin Dog which is fairly simple to remember, or you can go to www.tin-dog.co.uk and all my shows are there as well. I advise everyone to take a listen to it. Uh, Thank you so much, Michael, for being part of the show. I really appreciate you also um, staying on board towards the end, you know, after that little technical snafu. No, no, like I said, anytime. Thank you. And Dave, you as well? I enjoyed it, Lewis. Um, a pity about that in the middle, but um, w- one last thing I'd just say is that, um, I mean, I don't, didn't go to conventions, but uh, it really seems as though the actual actor um, worked tirelessly uh, at conventions, uh, and he probably did more than many of the other doctors in getting, um, you know, the, the fans on board. Because, of course, in America, I assume, uh, you didn't get to it from from, from mainstream TV, you had to get to it through the 
from conventions and word of mouth and uh, perhaps from the, the, the comics or the books or whatever. So, um, I mean, the debt we owe to him is, is every much as great as we do to the first two Doctors. Mm. Well said. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, also, I want to thank uh, both uh, Ken Deep and Joe, who also known as Omega Now Forms, who were cut off when we had our technical difficulties. They would have been here as well right now. And um, these things happen. It's a live show, and do apologize for that. And uh, um, hopefully it won't happen again. This is the first time it happened to us while we were recording a live show. Hopefully it's the last. So and we'll be back with another live show in two weeks, October 21st, I believe that is. And uh, it comes to no surprise, the doctor we'll be talking about will be the longest-running doctor, uh, Tom Baker, as the fourth doctor. So I hope you join us then. Once again, that's going to be Sunday, October 21st, 1 p.m. Um, Eastern day, uh, Daylight Time um, here in the U.S. Adjust your time accordingly. So thanks again. Cheers, everyone. I cross the void beyond the mind. The empty space that circles time. I see where others stumble blind to seek a truth they never find. Eternal wisdom is my guide. I am the doctor. Through cosmic waste, the TARDIS flies to taste the secret source of life. A presence. You've been listening to Doctor Who Parchock by the fan run GallifreyNembassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at GallifreyOne.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Pachak is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Pachak. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. For that point, I guide my feet. As fingers move to end mankind, metallic teeth begin their grind. With sword of truth, I turn to fight the satanic powers of the night. Is your faith before your mind? Know me, am I the doctor? I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. Doctor, come back at once.